Welcome back to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure creative frauds who will be exploring the motivating and sometimes debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. So I was looking back at some comments on, uh, on on a previous episode and someone had mentioned that if Noxie, and they spelt it with two E's, which I thought was cute, had something interesting to say, then maybe he would be quoted on Esther's website. So I'm going to try my hardest in this uh, episode of A Family Imposterous, our second take at that, and welcome back to that, Esther Clarahan. Welcome back to uh, The Imposterous. Did someone say that, someone else say that, or was that you? That might have been me just trying to, you know, if no one's talking about you, then you've got to talk about yourself. And today we're talking to a father and daughter combination. In our previous father-son with Cam and David Blackley, I made some comparisons and unfortunately mentioned Will and Jaden Smith. So I wanted to avoid that because I thought I might say, are we talking to the Billy Ray and Miley Cyrus or is it potentially Lenny and Zoe Kravitz? But what I've landed on is let's just say it's Tom and Mietta McFarlane because that's who we're talking to today. Welcome to the imposterous Tom and Mietta. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, I, I wanted to start, Tom, talking about how you got your start in advertising because it's quite different back then. I was very young. Well, I want to be a journalist, so then I chose my for all sorts of reasons. So someone told me about advertising because it wasn't nobody knew it knew what it was like. You know, you started as a dispatch boy, and then you were it was mandatory that you went to RMIT for night school two nights a week, and you learnt all the parts of the business. At the small agency, I was at the writer, the creative director was a pain in the eye. I was a horrible bloke. But the CEO, one well, of the MDs he was then, called a friend and got me a job at a radio station called 3DB. The job was to write ads. They had sales representatives who went and they were called direct sales and they went out and flogged airtime and came back usually after a boozy lunch, and said, you've got to write five ads for this electrical discount company by four o'clock, and you'd beg a DJ to come on when he came off air to record it, and you go to the music library and you make your ads. So you learn to work pretty fast. And then I got a job at uh, Thompson White and Partners in Melbourne as a, as a copywriter. Uh, they gave me a bit of a chance, and um, so that, that was how you did it. You know, it was very different. There were no award schools. or Mieta, yours was the classic award school. How did that go? <laughs> you know, I, I sort of started really not wanting to get into advertising because that was kind of dad's uh, career path and I wanted to do the opposite. I mean, staying in a creative field but not uh, not doing advertising and yet 
here I am. Um, I think it sort of started to intrigue me through the final years of university and I decided to do a board school, which I did appallingly at. I got nothing on the wall and, uh, and, and you know, it, it was the equivalent of sort of failing. But um, after doing a board school, I realised that even though I'd done very badly, I really enjoyed it. So um, I decided to sort of try my hand at trying to get a job in the industry. So, so when you were grow- growing up with your dad and watching him do it, it that didn't trigger like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. do. Do you remember specific campaigns or things Dad was bringing home? Um, you know, it's funny. I don't really remember specific campaigns except for McDonald's because, of course, every kid loves McDonald's at that age and so seeing little <laughs> McDonald's coupons was on the weekends were very exciting. Um, but, you know, one thing that I used to think was that everyone else's parents I didn't really know what their parents did and somehow dad seemed to always be having fun and there was exciting parties. There was um, lots of travel. So I guess from that perspective, I thought that it seemed like a, a, a somewhat exciting career to, to get into. You two both had really different careers that you both have in common. One that I know that I've seen up front and close is that you both have an incredible work ethic, that you both work really hard at what you do long hours dedicate you cancel stuff to to get the job done uh, well, I think that's very kind I, I don't know if I have the focus of dad I, I am in true admiration of his doggedness you know I think you make it seem easy dad <laughs> do you think that hard working part is, is that on this series we're kind of you know having conversations around people's desire sometimes to prove other people wrong or do you think that that hard working side is about problem solving do you just love the idea of solving that problem i think for me it's the challenge of cracking an idea um you know there's this incredible feeling when you've when when you just know you have a great idea you know it's 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 kind of hard to explain it's like this thing that just you know you can't stop thinking about during the day keeps you up at night you know it's almost like physical it's like buzzing in your mind you know and i think trying to get to that point is what drives me. And, and, you know, to be honest, the process of getting there isn't always fun and enjoyable for me. Sometimes it's kind of painful, you know, it's sort of like I have to really force myself to be disciplined to do the work, but the high of getting that great idea is, I mean, there's nothing else like it, you know, and although the process sometimes can be not always fun and there's not always a source of inspiration there, you know, it, it, the discipline to get there and the huge rewards that come from that are definitely something that excites me. Brace your phones. Apple is releasing 70 new emojis. New characters include new foods like mangoes, lobsters and a bagel. Will be available very soon. The new bagel emoji is causing an uproar. Apple getting served a lot of People criticism. So fired up about this. <laughs> Looks plastic. What are those? No, you're People right. It's terrible. Like bagel doesn't have cream aisle. cheese on it. Philadelphia cream cheese weighed in all of this. Of course, Philadelphians had something to say about this. They show us just how much more complete it looks with the cream cheese. Because they want some schmear. Gotta have a bagel with schmear. And nobody's eating a plain bagel. Philadelphia cream cheese launching a Twitter a poll. A Twitter poll and a tongue-in-cheek change.org petition. Starting a petition. Change.org petition. 
Apple changed its bagel emoji. Apple heard their concerns. Apple is now making changes to its bagel emoji. Why does this emoji have people excited? It's got cream cheese in it. The generous schmear of cream cheese. With cream cheese. With cream cheese. Yeah. They had an issue and they fixed it. There was it. so much backlash, they actually changed the emoji and now comes with a schmear of cream cheese. You could say Apple is trying to fix the schmear campaign. Half the country isn't registered to vote. We're working on this. We're one step closer to solving the world's problems. Finally! Finally! I think it gets back to the whole premise of this podcast, is that, if you know, like an imposter, you know, I remember the first time, you know, we started the agency, I had to go and meet with Morris Sarch, you know, I remember sitting in a meeting and, like, that was the high point of my imposterousness, going, why, I'm, why am I here with Lord Sarchi? Why, I felt... You know, and, and then I had to go and take work there every six months and present, you know. So I always had that sort of hovering. But I think it is that, you know, this fear of failure. It's always that fear of failure. We like to think as creative people as being rebellious and provocateurs, and, but they're actually just Labradors. They're like, they're like Labradors who want to be patted on the head and said, someone saying good boy or good girl. I think we seek, you know, we're a bit pathetic and a bit sad. We seek approval. Um, <laughs> such, you know, we're always looking for approval and people, I mean. I've wondered about this and it's a really good conversation about the process of how we get to that approval because I wonder if there was a time when, you know, we went away into the office and shut the door and no one could look and we'd come out when we're ready and here you go and ta-da. And now we talk with Mieta where the process, which she refers to, is quite different to that, where it's a lot more public, it's a lot more out, it's a lot more collaborative, and we talk about quite different yep. conversations. But at the end of it, we're all looking for that. That's a good idea. That's a great idea. However yeah. you got there is so different, but the end result of appreciation is so important. It takes a great honesty with yourself. You can ask a whole lot. Of, I heard, you know, I listened to Graham Fink's podcast, but you guys did, and I know Graham quite well. And, you know, he did the um, uh, Paul Arden thing about what's wrong with this rather than what's right with it. You, you need to, at some point, make the decision yourself that this is a good idea. It's an original idea. It's an unfamiliar idea. And then go out. But if you haven't got that, you're just going to be... I don't know, you feel, you're going to be like a stand-up comic walking on the stage to me. I, I think you can just get brutalised by so much opinion. You need to be intuitive about your own work. Sorry it does seem to be one of the cornerstones of the award school too, that filtering out the noise to try and fight for an idea because every award school student almost that I've ever met, how do I know what's right when... I keep getting different opinions. So-and-so told me this was a good idea and the next person told me it wasn't. It seems to be a course in filtering out what you're talking about, Tom, and starting to stand firm on what you believe and knowing, no, I'm right, listening to your gut, I think. I think that was probably my downfall in award school. I, I remember asking about 15 different opinions on every piece of work that I, that I came up with and uh, I think that intuition that dad's talking about takes time to develop, you know, yeah, and it's, yeah. it, it's not, it really does, you know, and you have to put in the hours and you have to put in the work to kind of get there. But I don't know, it's a muscle, right? The more you do it, the more you practice, the more you listen to the great people or the people that you trust around you.
Crabs are incredibly beholden to briefs now. They'll, they'll say that, you'll say, well, did you think of this or do that? And they'll go, well, that doesn't meet the brief. Do you know? And it's not that you should be disrespectful to the brief or the work that's gone into that brief, but it's amazing how many really good ideas by some wonderful form of osmosis will can be cajoled into meeting that brief. But so I see so many much work rejected, and also off the line, and I see it just, it's, it's a weight on a lot of young creatives, but I guess we live in this world now, you know, planning and strategic planning and so, you know, I get all that, but we don't have to be subservient to the brief. I think there was a time, and, and I'm not sure if it's still the time, where the brief was something that you would endeavour to prove wrong, like yes, it was part yeah, of the competition, not the, not the ammunition, yeah. if you like, for yeah. it was a catalyst, but at the same time it was, it could be better, you know, because yeah. it's that thought of how do we make this better? And the brief was, you know, ammunition for that rather than the reason. The other thing is um, is selling work. Is you know, everyone talks about bottom drawers that be full of work. There'd be less work in those bottom drawers if people knew how to sell their work. And that's where the massive um, doubt in one. You know, I, I would see that in presentations and pictures with creators when it was that they had to get up, and that's where the self doubt would really, the monster of self doubt would appear. Um, and, you know, I, I, you would see all that love and all that work, all the, everything went into that work. But if you can't get across, and if you don't have the same creativity in selling us, it's, it's, it's it, you know, where are you going to go? You, you know, it's, um, it really frustrates one thing. I mean, me always says, oh, you know, why don't you do a course in teaching people how to sell work? And it's, it's not that hard when you know how to do it. But that, I, I just think it's a, a horrible moment of, um, imposterous just <laughs> when you stand up in front of important people. So. It's the dishonesty that often takes place by the Current news media. And I think it is outrageous for you. And you also right? increasingly polarized here. American media culture Get that has us talking past each other has become as an echo chamber. People only see or hear what they want to. On World Press Freedom Day, we convinced the world's most prominent news organizations to put aside their fiercely competitive nature and come together behind one message, telling their audiences to read, listen to, and watch their rival publications, all in support of quality journalism. Each publication used their own media space to promote others. On the day, full-page ads were published in their own newspapers and magazines, and prominent space on their homepages was given away. Selling work is quite difficult for creatives because I think when you start your career, you're often sort of left to your own devices to come up with the work and you have someone to do that for you as you kind of move up the chain. And then eventually you're kind of thrown into this room, you're kind of thrown to the wolves, which is the clients to present your own work. And I'm not sure that you're ever really taught that, you know, it's kind of, you're just kind of thrown in the deep end and expected to be able to do it. So, you know, I feel like, a course like that would be incredibly valuable to anyone, you know, and learning better skills to sell your work better. Um, because it, it's very different 
selling your work to a creative director as opposed to, you know, selling it to a client. You know, it's it's brains that work in different ways, you know, and I think that would be incredibly helpful for people to have a course like that. Yeah, how do you believe in yourself enough to take it from an emotional connection to this thing that you've created to a rational reason why it should be invested in? It would be a good journey to learn more about. Mia, where did you learn? Do you know what? I still don't know if I have learned. I, I ah. still don't know if I'm very good at that. I think I have a long way to go. Um, I think it became easier when, you know, I sort of had a piece of business that was mine. I got to know the clients a little bit better and felt a bit more comfortable with that. But I think you need to practice and you need to be doing all the time to to get better at it. It, it, it hurts so much not to get your work up. And it's actually funny, even quite confident people, lose that confidence at that and uh, in that moment of time brilliant creative people do it must be quite a, a legacy beyond beyond me to being in this conversation of course because i was having a look back and uh we recently wrapped up season one of the imposterous and i was quite surprised <laughs> how accidentally how many people were from m and c like and I, and I can list the names so you can have a look at the episodes but that's quite a lot of great people have come through um, that agency and are still in that agency. What, what do you think your legacy is um, at an agency and an agency brand like that? Uh, I think that that is, I think you've hit it in one, that is the legacy that I look around. And um, I love, the, one of the things I really love, and you <laughs> still know this, is that, pe- that people call themselves MNCers. And I love the fact that they call themselves an MNC. You know, you talk to Paul Bradbury, he's an ex MNC, Brent Smart's ex MNC. They actually, if you go and sit and have a, you know, people talk, people talk about, oh, she's an ex MNC. Um, but I think, yeah, that is the, that's, look, the legacy, what, the legacy is a sort of funny old fashioned word, isn't it? But if you go, there's all the work and you could talk for ages about that and the high points and the highlights, and there's been lots of, there were very few lowlights. But, um, the people, because when we started, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, a lot of people had a misconception that Morisachi wrote us a big fat check and said, go and hire anyone you want, which we couldn't. So we found people in very, um, you know, less um, obvious places as well. A lot of the creatives came to us and we found in, oh, not just creatives, all sorts of people. We found in little agencies you'd never heard of. or Yeah, we were very fortunate with the people we had. We had some great people. Um, Optus approached me and asked me to do an advert telling Australia that they're getting Netflix. I said, I'd need like a shed load of cash, like seriously mental money. They went, okay. Um, I said, I don't want to put any effort into it. I want to do it sitting down. Um, they went, okay, can you at least, you know, big up the product a bit? I went, not really. No, I don't really, I don't know about it. I've never heard of Optus. Um, they said, we're not happy with this as an advert. I went, it's too late. You, you've paid me, I've spent it. Use this if you want. They use it. They use it. And Mieta, can I ask you then, um, because you mentioned it before, in spending a lot of time around agencies, 
Have you always been comfortable in creative departments? Do you think that's where you were going to be most comfortable or is there a level of discomfort in, uh, in doing what dad does or did? Or as Esther's now blind him up to say, doing what dad teaches. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, I've always felt at home in creative palmas and I'm very privileged to have felt like that. Um, I found them to be very welcoming and, you know, I'd loved being around that creative energy. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I missed uh, working from home during COVID was not being around sort of my tribe, you know. Um, but on the sort of on the dad front, uh, you know, I think having a parent in the field definitely wasn't always kind of the easiest. Um, I definitely, you know, hated the idea that people assumed that I'd got a job or um, I'd found success, you know, um, just through him. So, you know, even though I was, you know, very privileged to have had insight into the industry um, before I even started working, it was very, very important for me to do it on my own. And I think, you know, that's in part why I decided to come over to the US, um, you know, and take a job a little bit further away from Australia in order to kind of prove myself. Um, and, you know, that's not to say I'm embarrassed. I'm just, I'm incredibly proud of dad and what he's achieved. And I'm grateful for the opportunities that were afforded to me. But, you know, I am my own person. I really wanted to make sure that, you know, I was doing it on my own and I was on my, you know, own career trajectory and New York felt the right place to kind of do that. How long have you been in New York now? Seven years. I'm on my seventh year. So, you know, so the industry's great at home. I'd, I'd love to come home one day. I think it will always be very hard to leave New York because it's a pretty special place and there's um, certainly creatively it's very energising. You know, I, I was actually chatting to this about, with a friend back home recently and, you know, there's something strange because even though there is millions of millions of more people in in New York, you know, who are more creative, smarter, more charismatic, you know, um, more jogged than you, there's this feeling that anything's kind of possible here, you know. It's um, even though the market's smaller at home and it feels like, you know, if you had that screenplay, it'd be easier to, you know, do it in Australia. There is something about New York that makes it feel like you can do it. Um, and I don't, I don't know if other people feel like that, but I certainly do. So it's well, you certainly to- cracked it there. You've had a fantastic lot of success. It's been, <laughs> it's been good so far, but, you so know. So far, so good. Uh, it's back to that imposter syndrome, right? You know, it's uh, it's hard to, you know, I think as creatives we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, you know, to 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 continue to succeed, you know, and not get too comfortable. Um, I think I think you know it's that sort of saying you're only as good as your last piece of work, you know. So it's like you. It's- yeah. What is it about that saying? We we we've talked about that a bit here, and I. And I think someone even said to me, you're only as good as your next ad, which kind of made even less sense. I, I think this job is a lot more fun with a lot less pressure, but maybe it's the pressure that's the fun part. So I'm not really entirely sure what, what, what that is. But there is this kind of idea of, I don't know, the more important we make it sound, the more important the work will yeah, sound, the, more, the better the work will be. But it's fun, right? I, I, not that I'm trying to lecture anyone on what this should be, but it's, it, it is a... Uh, a conundrum, I think, that we do. I think, we, I think when we step back, we get perspective on it. But when you're right in it, it's, it, you know, I get people coming to me panicking about like not having won an award for a year or not That's having me. made something for six months or, <laughs> or oh, whatever. Take- you go, well, take a couple of steps back and look at your career overall. It's pretty bloody good. And then they're like, oh, yeah, okay. 
I think the one thing for me, there are a lot, there seem to be, and I, I never look back. I never look back at this and I never, I would never be that guy that does that things ain't what they used to be. I don't want to be that person. But I feel like if things were lucid, like it's very structured, very, it feels like people are very shackled at the moment. Um, this has been um, this has been great. This conversation. I just wondered, Mieta and Tom, if there's anything on this subject that you wanted to say. One little anecdote that I do like, and I was, I was telling Mieta about this. Um, you know, I mean, you know how famous Charles Sarchi is. You know, for all that, about lots of things. And I said, Bill said to me one day, he said, "Oh, he will never speak at." You know, they ask him to do TEDx and all that, and he'll never speak at those things, right? And Bill said, and I said to Bill, why not? Bill said to him, why not? And Charles said, I only disappoint people, <laughs> which I thought was, because do you know what I'm saying? He, he put yeah. Archie, you know, women and art and millionaire, but, but he, when he stood up, he felt that he disappointed. He wasn't well, that person. Hopefully yeah. this episode is not one of those that does that, because I don't think it will. Tom and Mieta and Esther, Thank you very much for joining Great us on chat. a family imposterous. Really good to talk to you all today. Thanks, Noxie. Nice yeah. wherever Thanks we are. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We could have been anything that we wanted to be. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous. Tried it, we learned to abide it.